And it is our first study and first service in the new year, so I'd like to talk this morning about setting a new standard for ourselves and for our church. And that new standard is in terms of our faith, and it's in terms of going deeper spiritually. This is not about uh, resolutions or goals or anything like that, because um, those can easily be broken. This is about living uh, in the expectation that God has for us, and that God fully equips us to do by His Spirit. So, if you have your Bible, and I pray that you do, uh, let's turn to Exodus chapter 33, because we're going to get this encouragement this morning from kind of an unexpected place. Exodus chapter 33. Now, the setting here is that Moses is in the presence of the Lord in the tent of meeting. That was the precursor to the tabernacle. And it was called the tent of meeting because if you look at verse 11, it says that there in the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face like a man speaks to a friend. Now, I was struck, and I've read that passage many times, I was struck by the awesomeness of that statement. That Moses would come and God would meet him face to face. And you've got to think about how amazing it was to be part of that conversation. To, to be in the presence of the Lord, to experience His glory, to, to have that communion with Him, that intimacy with Him where there is conversation going on. And the more I thought about that, the more I thought we can be confident of their very same thing. Because anytime we pray, anytime we go to the Lord, we have the exact same experience. Now it may not be tangible, physically. It may not be, well, we know the Lord's Spirit is in the room but it can be spiritually tangible. That we go to the Lord, we, we stand in His presence, we call on His name, and He communes with us. It's not a one-way conversation where we just go in and list our requests, and this is what we need, and, and okay, God, thank you. The Lord, the Spirit, will speak to us. He will commune with us as we pray with Him. This is why we encourage you to come to prayer meeting, because it is a time of great communion with the Lord where we hear His voice, where we speak to Him. And that's not weird or mystical. That's just how it is. It's why we chose the name Tabernacle for this church. A lot of people, why didn't you call it a church? Because the Tabernacle is the place where God's presence comes and communes with us. And that's what we want as a church, right? I know it's what I want as a church, so I hope it's what you want as a church. That it's not just some dull, ceremonial, uh, religious kind of thing that we come and do each week where it's just kind of dry. No, we want to come into the presence of the Lord. And we're praying as leadership that that when people come into this building, the manifest presence of God is tangible to them, that they know the Lord's here because there's nothing better than that. So this had to be really refreshing to Moses because, honestly, the chapter before was kind of rough. There were a lot of things that were going on at this time that were that were brutal. And he had come down from the mountain and he was angry at the people because he saw them dancing around this golden calf that they had built. And he has to confront Aaron, his brother, who's also the high priest, by the way, who was complicit in all of that by saying to the people, give me your jewelry, we'll build a God. So Moses has seen 3,000 people be put down and die because of this rebellion. He knows that there's trouble in the camp. And yet, as he stands here in the presence of the Lord in chapter 33, he doesn't yet know that the next four decades of his life are going to be even more frustrating and even more challenging. 
Because by the time they get to Numbers chapter 33, the people are in full-blown rebellion. They send in 12 spies in the promised land. Ten come back with a negative, fearful report. There's no way we can do it. We know what God said. We know God told us this is our land, but we cannot do it. There are giants in the land. They're going to defeat us. And the people panic, and they lack faith, and God says, fine. You're going to wander for 40 years. You're going to walk in circles in the desert because you did not trust in me. And a whole generation, all of you except for two, are going to die off before you ever get into the promised land. And Moses has to endure that, and he has to lead the people through that time. But in this moment, and I want you to see this, chapter 33, book of Exodus, in the tent of meeting, he sees a different reality. He is standing in the presence of God. He is awed by God's majesty and God's power. And he is confident in God's authority and God's leading especially in sharp contrast to the spiritual failure of the people. So he comes into the presence of the Lord, and he makes a request here that I am convinced, and I've been convinced about this for three or four weeks, is a definitive call to you and me. And it's a definitive call to our church in 2019. So let's read the passage, and then we'll get to that statement in just a moment. But start in verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people. But you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. Now therefore I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you, so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And God said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are on the face of the earth? Then the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you've spoken. For you've found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you, and I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me, and you will stand there on the rock, and it will come about when my glory is passing by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I'll take my hand away, and you will see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Now, the key phrase that we're going to focus on is in verse 18. But before we get to that, I want to highlight two other phrases that are really essential to our spiritual growth. And they're essential to our confidence and our contentment in the Lord. The first one is in verse 13. Where Moses says to the Lord, let me know your ways that I may know you. How many of us need a greater knowledge of the Lord in this new year? How many of us need to know the Lord to a deeper extent? Now, I don't know about you, but I need to know about him. I need to know more about his character and his will. And I need to know more about why he does what he does, how he does what he does, and what his ways are. I've been saved 40, let me think now, 43 years this summer, 44 years this summer, 
But by no means after 44 years do I know the Lord the way I should. We need to know the Lord. And that means we are going to have to become better students of his word. We have to prioritize in a fresh way intentional reading and studying and asking questions of the text and taking time in his word. Now, that's Christianity 101, right? You've heard hundreds of sermons about we need to be students of the word. But I'm telling you, if we're going to know the Lord, if we're going to know his ways and his character, we've got to be students of the word. And I'm so excited to see that our staff is, is already making decisions to that end. Remember when we had the tea, what Adamaris' challenge was, right? That we need, we need to read through the Bible in a year. She's reading it twice a year. And what I've seen after that is our men now are challenging themselves. We're going to read through the Bible in a year. And the women's study now is about how to study the Bible. Good. I started reading the Bible cover to cover last year, late last year. I'm about two-thirds of the way done. I passed the two-thirds mark this week. And when I get done with the final third, I'm going to start again. Because reading through the Word, getting the, getting the sense of God from beginning to end, seeing the message of grace and salvation and mercy and man's sin and our need for a Savior and how God says repeatedly, I want to be your God, but you don't want me to be your God. That gets in your heart. And you start to remember verses you've read and you start to remember truths you've read. And the more we get into the Word, the more we're students of the Word, the more it will help us. So you and I, and you guys are students of the Word, but we need to know God's Word better because it not only teaches and trains us, but it causes us to understand the Lord more. I read a good illustration about this uh, this week by Anne Graham Lotz. Some of you might have seen it. She told about being at the beach and seeing four types of birds. She said the first birds were the sandpipers who run back and forth. I love sandpipers. You ever seen them? They run back and forth. And they're just constantly, and they go right up to the edge of the water, and when the water comes in, they run away, run away with their little feet, trying not to get wet. And she said the second type of bird were the skimmers. They would just fly above the water, right, right above the surface, and just kind of guide along looking for fish. And then the third type were the seagulls. And the seagulls would actually stand in the surf up to their knees. Do seagulls have knees? I don't know. It's a great question to Google later. So you've got the sandpipers. You've got the skimmers. You've got the seagulls. And then she said, finally, were the pelicans. And the pelicans would circle around, and then they would dive headfirst into the water, and they'd come up with a whole fish, and they'd gobble it and eat it. And she said, the Lord really impressed upon my heart that this is a metaphor for the four ways that people read the Bible. Some people dance around the Word, and they don't really want to step in and be involved, and they just kind of back and forth and back and forth, and they kind of rely on preachers and teachers to, to tell them what it says. Then others just kind of skim along the surface of the Bible, just getting the basic facts, just knowing, just knowing the, the cursory stuff. And then there are others that will get invested to some extent. They'll read and they'll study somewhat, maybe not every day. And then there's the last group, the pelicans. And they dive deep into Bible study and they fully take it in and then they apply it and live out what they've learned. And she said, the Lord said to me, what type of bird are you? 
How do you approach the word of God? Listen, if you and I are going to know the Lord and we're going to know his ways, we know what type of bird we need to be, right? We also know that we need to do what Moses did. Look back at it. He came, verse 11, verse 12, and he abided in the presence of the Lord. The reason abiding and prayer are so vital to us is because it causes us to know the Lord. And then he makes this unshakable, unbreakable promise in verse 14. He says, if you walk with me, if you abide in me, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. Now, he's not talking about Sunday afternoon laying on the couch, physical rest. He's talking about spiritual peace and contentment and confidence in him through our faith. So if you'll come into my presence, you'll know me, you'll read my word, you'll abide in me, you'll pray, you'll get time with me in my presence like Moses is doing right now. I will go with you and I'll give you rest. Your heart will be at peace, you'll be content, you'll be confident in me, you won't have to worry because I'll be with you. Now because of that promise, look at verse 14, you and I need to determine that because of verse 14, verse 15 is the only way that we are going to operate going forward. That we are going to commit to the Lord in this new year with this second phrase. If you aren't with me and leading me, I'm not going to take another step. And we've talked about that, and I want to emphasize it again this morning. Because everything in 2019 should be evaluated by that standard. Lord, if you aren't with us and you aren't leading us, we're not going in that direction. The other standard we should have is that is it clearly supported by God's word, which we have to study, and does it unquestionably please and honor him? Because if it doesn't do those, I'm not doing it. If I can't support it, I mean really support it, not kind of nuance it, gray area, well, like, I don't know, we can read that five different ways. No, if it's not supported by the Word of God, and it doesn't please Him, and it wouldn't honor Him if He was standing right next to us, we should not do it. And we start to live by those two standards, and our lives will look very, very different. But here's the benefit. Look back at the text. He says, I will know that you are with us, if you're leading us. And if we're abiding in you and we're trusting in you, we're calling on you and you're pleased by that, then we will know that you have your hand on us. Listen, God's going to convict us 20,000, 30,000, 50,000 times. I don't know the number. He's going to convict us by his spirit all throughout this year. But if we ignore him, his spirit is going to say, fine, I will stand far off and I will watch you make the mistakes that you're going to make. And I'll leave you to your own ways until you either repent or you go through tremendous difficulty and I have to discipline you. But, but if you're so determined that you're going to do your own thing, then I'm not going to abide in that because I don't abide in things that are unclean. I don't hang out where, where, where people are not consecrating themselves. And this is why the Bible tells us to consecrate ourselves. The word means to be holy and set apart to the Lord. So listen, if I have a standard for 2019, 
as a believer in Jesus Christ, it needs to be holy and set apart to the Lord because that's when the Lord starts to do magnificent and mighty and powerful things. If we're not consecrated, we're just kind of playing a game and we're kind of just, I don't know, doing our best and not really walking with him and kind of, kind of following his word and kind of studying and, and kind of praying. And, and I don't know. I mean, that's how the average person lives, right? If we're that way, God says, I'll do some things, but I'm not going to do the things I really want to do. I'm not going to do the mighty and powerful and magnificent things that are going to bring you to your knees where you go, holy be to the Lord, praise to the Lord. Look at what God has done. And that's such an important spiritual principle as we head into the last part of our study because after the Lord confirms, look at 17, after he confirms, Moses, you found favor with me and I'm honoring your prayer. Moses makes an additional request that ramps up everything, that takes it to the next level because he asks the Lord in verse 18, show me your glory. Now, I want you to stop for a minute and think about who's saying this and what he's asking for. This is the man who has had the hand of the Lord on his life since his birth. Remember the story? Jochebed, his mother, knows that the Israeli boys are supposed to be put to death in the Nile. So what does she do? She takes little baby Moses and she puts him in a basket. We've studied that before. And she puts him in a basket and she sends him down the Nile. And Miriam runs along the shore looking for where little baby Moses is going to go. And Pharaoh's daughter just happens, mm, wink, wink, just happens to be down at the river that day. And she finds the little Israeli baby boy, and instead of saying, this is a Jewish boy, we need to put him to death, she says, I'd like to adopt him. And then she says, I'm going to need somebody to nurse this child. And little Miriam goes, I know somebody. The mom who sent the baby away now gets to nurse and raise the child. So God's hand has been on Moses since day one. And then when he's impulsive and kills an Egyptian in anger because he's attacking a Jewish slave, Moses runs away. But God doesn't forget Moses, and he's up in the wilderness. And then God appears to him in a burning bush, and he talks to Moses, and he says, I want you to go rescue my people out of Egypt. So Moses goes back to Egypt, and he sees God do amazing miracles. And he watches as he leads the people out, as God parts the Red Sea. And there's dry ground underneath the ocean. And they walk through on dry ground, and they get to the other side. And the Lord brings the water back on Pharaoh's troops. And then Moses goes along to, to Sinai, and he meets with the Lord, and he has time in the presence of the Lord, 40 days, just communing with the Lord, and he receives the law. And then he takes down these tablets that are written by God's hand, and he will later see God bring bread down from heaven and water out of a rock and quail flying through where you can just grab them and break their neck and eat them. He sees all of this. That's a pretty good resume, right? Now, you would think that Moses would say, well, that's, that's pretty good. Like, I'm good to go. Lord, just whatever you want to take me home, I'm ready. Because you have done miraculous things in my life, and I'm satisfied with that. But that's not what Moses does. Look at verse 18. He says, Lord, show me your glory. Now, what exactly does he mean by that? 
And why is he asking the Lord to show his glory when he's had just one of the greatest experiences everybody will ever have of spending communion, spending time with the Lord alone for 40 days on the mountain. And again, he comes back to the tent of meeting, and the Lord is meeting him, talking to him face to face like you talk to a friend. So, so why does Moses want more? Well, first of all, it's important to see that it's not a selfish prayer. He's not saying, give me more, I want more, I need more, you need to to do some tangible things, I need some blessing here. Now, I'm pretty special to you, God, clearly you favor me because I've spent time with you, so Lord, I'd like some more stuff for me. That's not the prayer here, in fact, it's just the opposite. He says, I've been in your presence I have been awed by your magnificence. You are holy and righteous and good, and you're gracious. You didn't wipe us off the map after the whole debacle at the bottom of Sinai. And Lord, now I come into your presence and your authority and your power, and here's what I'm asking. I want more of it. I want more of your power. I want more of your authority. I want more of you to get honor and praise because you're the only one that's doing it. And that's even more clear to Moses after he has seen the absolute disaster, the pathetic attempt of the people to be their own God, the disrespect and the dishonor that they showed to the Lord in dancing naked before this stupid golden calf that they built themselves instead of listening to the only one true God who they could see his presence at the top of the mountain with lightning and thunder and the sound of a trumpet. And the earth shook so much that they had to stand back from Sinai because they were fearful. In the midst of that, knowing Moses was communing with God, they say, let's build another God. So Moses has seen this. And now he stands in the presence of God. And he says, Lord... I crave more of you. I crave more of you. I want to see your glory. I want to see you in a deeper way. I want to experience your power in a deeper way. Please, Lord, do this. Listen, when we pray that, hear this very carefully, this will completely change our desires. We will go from a level of self-centered thinking Now to asking, Lord, I need more of your hand in my life. Lord, I need more expressions of your awesome power. Lord, I need more of your clear leading. Lord, I even need more of your discipline because discipline is for the purpose of godliness. So, Lord, I need more of that. I need more time in your presence. I need more sense of your power. I need more of your glory all through the earth and in my life. And when we pray that way, absolutely nothing will be more important. We will want to see God honored and praised and trusted in by every person that knows him. We want to see people that don't know him and reject him have their hearts changed and brought to Christ because they need a Savior and God's the only Savior. Now you may be thinking, and I don't know if you are, you may be thinking, well, sure. 
What believer doesn't want that? What believer doesn't want to experience a greater expression of God's presence and power? Of course we would. Uh, Paul, what, what, what believer would not want to see the Lord working in fresh and mighty ways? Of, of course we want that. Well, then that points a question back at us. What are we waiting for? Why aren't we asking him for that, crying out to him every single day, Lord, show us your glory today? Why aren't we gathering, and we're going to Tuesday night, why don't we gather as a church and say, Lord, show us your glory this year. Show us how you can work in our midst. Show us how you can bring people to Christ. Show us how you can use us to serve you and minister to people. You know, even serious, mature believers may not be praying this. Why would that be? Why would we not be praying this? How could we possibly not want to see the Lord glorified in our midst. Well, I want to give you two reasons this morning, and we'll close with this. So I believe there are two reasons, and we may not be thinking about it. It may not be, quote-unquote, intentional. But what would be two reasons why we might not pray this? Well, first of all, I believe it's that we want ourselves to be glorified more than we want Him to be glorified. Now, that one hurts, right? (laughs) We want ourselves to be glorified more than we want him to be glorified. So because it's about his glory and his praise and his honor and his leading and his will, if it's about him, that means it's not about us and that we're going to have to be humbled and yield and surrender. And to be honest, at our core, many times, we want people to notice us and honor us. Now, we're not going to say that out loud because we know how ridiculous that would sound. But honestly, and I'm talking about myself here, our actions prove otherwise. Self is still strong. And we still really, at the end of the day, want our will and our way. And while we know the Lord and we know He's wonderful and gracious and we know His power and and His leading, and, and we really want that, but... Kind of we don't. We really want it on our terms. We want it when we don't have strength. We want it when we don't know what to do. So we kind of wait till we're in that situation where we're weak and feeling frustrated and, and we don't know the next step. And then we go to the Lord and say, all right, Lord, your will be done. Kind of, huh. Instead of waking up in the morning and going, Lord, Your glory today, your will today, your honor today. I'm nothing. I'm a wretch. I'm worthless. I am, my my credentials, as Paul says in Philippians 3, are dung. I bring nothing to the table. All I'm asking is that you work in a powerful way. Not, I'm good, I'll manage it until something comes along that I can't manage. Then I'll run to him for help. And when he doesn't work exactly how I want or as quickly as I want, I'll get a little impatient, I'll get frustrated, I'll get discouraged, I'll talk to people, I'll complain a little bit. But, 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 but you know, I, I really do love the Lord. Well, well, do we really love the Lord? Israel is the embodiment of this attitude in this text. And we might be quick to say, and I know I'm being direct here, we might be quick to say, I'm, I'm not like that. But honestly, we need to assess the extent to which we embrace 
that behavior. If our trust often wavers and our obedience is negotiated based on the circumstances, then we're really not about God's glory. Let me say that again. If our trust often wavers and our obedience is negotiated based on the circumstances, we're really not about God's glory. Now, Moses knew the people's inclination, and he knew his own weakness. And Moses messes up. He gets angry, frustrated. He hits the rock a couple times. He's fearful. Uh, We get it, and and the Lord disciplines him for that. But right here, oh, it's so beautiful. I want you to live in verse 18 this year. He says, Lord, show me how awesome and wonderful you are because I only want to live for you. So it is possible that we're not asking the Lord to show his glory because we're still thinking about ourselves more than we are about him. And then there's a second reason that's also very strong. We are fearful and hesitant. First reason is that we're still trying to do our own thing. We still want our will. We still want to be glorified. We want part of the praise. Second is that we're fearful and hesitant. We're either scared of the unknown or we don't want to go deeper or both. Now, let me talk about both of those for a second. Because in part, there is a real sense for some that if the Lord is showing his glory, that it'll be some kind of strange, mystical expression of his power that we're not comfortable with. I'm not saying it will be and I'm not saying it won't be, but I'm saying a lot of people fear that. We are not always comfortable with what is spiritually supernatural, right? And yet, God is a spirit. And God is not of the earth, he's of heaven. So anytime God works, it is supernatural. Now, supernatural has been co-opted by TV shows and by weird uh, variations of what the media will tell us is supernatural uh, portals and people with powers and all kinds of stuff. Listen, get all that out of your mind right now, and let's talk about the Lord. The Lord is supernatural. He's above the natural because he's not controlled by the natural. He's a spirit, and he's God, and he's the authority over all things. So anytime God works, it is supernatural. So I'm not standing here arguing for something that's outlandish or something that's unbiblical. Certainly not. But we do need to accept, listen carefully now, that God can and will work in miraculous ways that are not typical to what we know. And isn't that what we crave? Wouldn't you have wanted to be at the Red Sea? Like, seriously, wouldn't you have wanted to stand there and see the waters part and look down and there's dry ground and you're walking through and it's not muddy at all and you're walking through and the wall of water's here and the wall of water's here and there are fish swimming. I'd want to be there. I don't know about you. I want to be there. When Jesus heals Bartimaeus and, and he's blinded and then he can see and he goes jumping and dancing around, wouldn't you have wanted to be there? Wouldn't you have wanted to sit on the hillside when he took five loaves and two fish and divided them and 10,000 people ate? I'd want to be there. And yet when we, well, well, uh, God doing miracles in my life, I don't know, that's pretty uncomfortable. Why? We should crave God to do miraculous works. We should be saying to the Lord, show us your glory. Lord, I have these things, and and I don't know what to do with them. And and I don't know how you're going to work, 
but I know you're all-powerful, and nothing's impossible with God, and I'm going to claim that. Nothing's impossible with you. So a big part of it is that we are scared of the unknown. Let me give you an illustration of this that hit me a couple weeks ago. When I was in about ninth grade, I was with a bunch of friends at a community pool. And a friend of mine was deciding that she wanted to, for the first time, jump off the high dive. So she climbed up there and she got off to the edge. But when she looked down and saw how high it was, she became scared. And she did not want to jump off. And we all, you know, come on, you can do it. We're yelling encouragement and, and trying to, to get her to jump off. And we told, you know, it's not bad. We've all done it. It's fine. You'll be. She stood there, I'm not kidding, for 45 minutes. It was 41 years ago this summer. I can still picture it. I can picture, I could take you back to the place where I was standing in the pool watching her on the high dive. And she stood there, and she stood there, and the more she stood there, the more scared she got. And we said, well, you know, nobody can do anything. The pool's kind of, you know, nobody's, nothing's happening. Nobody can climb up and jump down. So why don't you just climb back down the ladder? She didn't want to do that. She was completely emotionally paralyzed at the end of the board. Now, often our faith is like that. Instead of trusting the Lord to help us and protect us and lead us, we are emotionally and spiritually stuck at the edge of the high dive, and, and we're paralyzed by uncertainty, and we're wondering, well, well is this going to be painful, and is it not going to be as fun as I want it to be, and, and, and once I hit the water, am I going to struggle? What's going to happen? And we become so paralyzed, so stuck in that uncertainty, instead of saying, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And I want to challenge you and me, and I want to challenge this church that we make this a year of great faith. Walking by faith is a requirement. It's not a suggestion. Walk by faith and not by sight. That's a command. The Bible says in Hebrews, without faith it's what? Tell me. Impossible to please God. Try nuancing that verse. If we do not trust, God will not bless. So let's stop standing at the edge of the board trying to control the level of risk. Let's stop standing at the edge of the board and enjoy the fact that great faith will lead us to bold prayers. Great faith will lead us to effective outreach. Great faith will lead us to restored relationships. It will lead us to a place of new avenues of ministry. Listen, this... This breakthrough initiative that we introduced is completely a step of faith. And some of you have asked, and you've asked each other, you haven't necessarily asked me, but that's fine. Some of you said, why now? And, and, and why so many staff members all at once? And why these people and not others? And why are we not getting more details? And that's fair. But listen, let me tell you, the answer is that we believe the Lord is asking us to step out boldly in faith. And we believe that those that are coming on staff have been clearly called. Now, it's difficult because many of you serve. But we have sensed a clear calling to a new level of ministry work in those that are being added. Because we, lead, we believe very strongly that God is doing a work here and he is calling us 
to lead people toward his salvation. And you know, in the first four days of the year, two people have already gotten saved. Now, that, that may not seem like a lot compared to the big churches, but we keep up that pace. That's 180 salvations this year. Wouldn't that be cool? Talk about transforming our church. Let's see 180 people get saved. This is a step of faith. Everything in Christianity is a step of faith. And listen, I want to be honest. That will rarely be simple and shallow and safe. Walking by faith is not like, yay, everything's easy. No, walking by faith is difficult. But who wants to be simple and shallow and safe when the Lord says, I have great plans for you and I want to work in awesome ways? I'm ready. I'm ready to work in your life. I'm ready to show you my glory. So do you want to stand at the edge of the board and just be timid? Or do you want to go forward? And then the last issue that causes us to hesitate is we may not want to go deeper in our faith. We say we do. Oh, I want to grow in the Lord and I want to mature. But like my friend, we get out to the edge of the board and we look down and we say, "Mm, I don't know. The water looks really cool and refreshing, especially because the situation right now is very hot and I'm stressed And it would probably be better to be down there. And I know being in God's presence, I hear you, Paul. I know being in God's presence is better than standing on the board. But that water's really deep. And that's a plunge of faith. And I don't know if I can do that. So so for the moment, I'm just going to keep standing here. Or as she did after close to an hour, I'm eventually just going to climb back down and go to where it's not deep. This is our choice spiritually. We can go by faith. Listen now. We can go by faith into the deep and be refreshed spiritually by God's mercy and provision and swim around in the expanse of that water and experience God's awesome work. That's option one. Option two is we can go to where it's shallow and where it's supposedly safe, and where the water will never rise above our shoulders, and where, if we're fearful, we can easily walk out. But we will never, we will never experience profound power of God if we just stand in the shallowness. So we're on the board, and we can look down and say, It's a leap of faith, and it's going to be interesting. But once I get into that deep water, God will provide. Or we can stand in the kiddie pool the rest of our lives. Never at risk, never threatened, never taking a chance. Because it's not a chance. It's the Lord we're dealing with. And he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never fail you. When you look at the end of the passage, I know I'm out of time. Look at one more time in verses 20 to 20, or 19 to 23. Moses would have never known the goodness of the Lord passing by him. 
he would have never known God, and a lot of people think this is a metaphor. I don't. He would have never seen God's hand covering his eyes because God said, if you see my face, you're dead. Nobody can see my face. So he covers Moses' eyes, and he says, my glory is too much for you, but I'm going to pass by you, and I'm going to let you experience my presence. And then after I'm done, I'm going to take my hand away. Oh, I love this phrase. And you're going to see my back. Moses never would have experienced that unless he had prayed, show me your glory. He would have been in the tent of meeting. He would have walked out of the tent of meeting. He would have gone and had dinner, and that would have been that. But God says, because you asked, because you want to see my glory, I'm going to show it to you. So church, what will you and I do in 2019? Are we going to stand on the board and look down at the deep water and say, I don't know. Or are we going to ask and live by faith for God to do a fresh, powerful work in our lives and in our church? And say to the Lord, Lord, show us your glory.